Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Real Podcast. This is your army host, Real Joe Quinn. Episode 885, No Banner 18. It will be No Banner 18 this season in the NBA. Um, we are recording this on a Wednesday, so, and I apologize for not putting this on my last podcast. When you hear this, po- hear this podcast, the Miami Heat, would have probably already eliminated the Boston Celtics in a four-game sweep and be on their way to the NBA Finals. So, according this on a Wednesday, game four between the Heat and Celtics is uh, later on in a, in a couple of about three hours or so. And by the time again, by the time you hear this, that series more than likely will be over. Before we get to that, we're going to look back at last night, a historic night for the Denver Nuggets. Um, they were able to take care of business and take out the the game. Los Angeles Lakers, uh, one eleven to one oh eight. Um, excuse me, one one eleven to one oh nine. It was a two point game, uh, two point victory for the Nuggets. Uh, you give the Nuggets all the credit in the world because you, you know you're talking a fifteen point. You no, know, LeBron comes out. With a just you know a throwback performance, thirty-one in the first half, uh, could do it. He could miss, uh, uh, hit threes, post up just a full barrage of um, of his offensive repertoire, and the Nuggets had no answer. Nuggets had no answer in that first half for him. Uh, they go to uh, the halftime down by fifteen. Take it to yourself now. Maybe just you know the Lakers have one more game in them to push this back to uh, to Denver for Game Five. As a Lakers fan, and I never felt comfortable, never. I never felt comfortable even up fifteen because of how explosive Denver is. Lakers had seventy two points at halftime, and the third quarter was the, certainly the deciding quarter of the uh, of the game. Lakers were outscored that third quarter, thirty six to sixteen. So. They go from being down, up 15 to down 5. And at that point, when the Nuggets took the lead in that third quarter, they never surrendered the lead. They were able to hang on. Uh, you have you had Jokic, um, had a big night, um, you know, with another triple-double, uh, especially down the stretch, just made just these impossible shots, you know, especially a couple three-point three shots that were just ridiculous. Uh, a couple with LeBron hanging draped right all right all, right all over him. Um, LeBron did not have the success guarding Jokic uh, in this particular game that he had the previous in one of the games. I believe it was game not last game game two where Jokic's result was like zero for six versus LeBron. Uh, but again, and then that's not a knock on LeBron. LeBron did everything that he could possibly do. To keep the uh to keep the Lakers in this game, uh, but it wasn't enough. Uh, Denver had too many weapons. Um, you talk about again, they Denver is a complete basketball team, especially offensively. And again, defensively, they held the Lakers in the second half to just uh twenty. They held the Lakers in the second half in check. Uh, held the Lakers in in, in the second half. But they had 22, 16, 38 points in the second half for the Lakers. 38 points in the second half, uh, 36% from the field. So it was the Denver defense. And, you know, all the talk all the talk goes about is about the Denver offense. It actually was the Denver defense 
that turned around the game. But I actually thought Jokic had a great, had a, a, a above average defensive game. Had a couple blocks. You you know used his body to get you know as a really was like actually was somewhat of a rim protector in that game. Uh, almost fouled out. So he was definitely he was more engaged than you see him in defensively. He's not listen. He's subpar. He's not awful defensively. He's he's okay defensively. Like he tries defensively, but um, he no, he's not. You know, he's not. Of course, he's not gonna forget it. Make anybody forget about Bill Russell. But that's not where you know. That's not where uh, you know he's earning his money. Uh, this was the Bulls in the series all around. This again. This was a very entertaining series. Like the Lakers. In theory, uh, in theory, could have won at least three of the four games. Uh, game three, they got you know, never just hit them with a with their never just hit them with another gear, and uh, there was a gear that they had the Lakers didn't have, um, and you know, that was that. But even that game, you know, never had to pull away in that game in the fourth quarter. This was, I mean, all four of these games were decided in the fourth quarter, and you look at the, the total. Points uh, in terms of point differential overall, the Lakers were only like a plus twenty-two. That's I mean that's like what five each game decided by less than six points. So this was a very competitive series. It did not give not given the feel of what was probably happening with Boston and Miami. That's going to be just a complete you know you know destruction, especially uh, what transpired with Boston in Game Three. Um, but this was a this was a very close series. Again, Denver, I picked Denver to get to the finals, and so I'm not surprised whatsoever, but I did pick them to win in seven in this series. Um, but, you know, they they give Denver all the credit in the world. They crossed off every championship checkpoint in each game. You look at game one, they almost blowed what, the 21-point lead. They were able to finish, pull it off the Lakers when that could have been a disaster, disastrous uh, loss. Uh, to a, to a Laker team that have been playing well. You look at game two, they're struggling offensively, especially in the first half. Jokic has probably his worst game of the postseason, yet it was, um, you know, it, it was Jamal Murray. It was their role players uh, that held down the fort with Jokic going scoreless in the fourth quarter, and they get by in their defense as well, and they get in and Anthony Davis falls apart and only having 18 points, and they win a close game, too. Game three, uh, again, you're up 2-0. You have home court. A lot of teams react. A lot of teams tend to uh, relax, and we that's why we see a lot of 2-1 series, especially when the home team has won the first two games. Um, not, not Denver. They came out right away, hit the Lakers in the mouth, had them on their heels, and Jamal Murray comes out there, Comes out there and with a thirty-point first half, a thirty-point first half to keep Denver in, you know, to like keep Denver um, in the game. Um, and then you have, you know, Jalen. You had the role players again, Bruce Brown and KCP have big games and played well throughout the course series. Course of the series, and even Jeff Green had some big shots. Um, and you had Jokic finishing it off in game three, uh, in the fourth quarter. But again, that was a game that a lot of teams lose up 2 0. Uh, we've seen a number of series over the course of NBA history where a team gets up 2 0, gets re- relaxes in game three, and gets their doors blown off. 
it's usually it's a mentality of all you gotta do is get one, go up three one at worst, and wrap it up in five. And then last night, again, how many teams in you know Denver learned from their own mistake against Minnesota? They were up three against Minnesota, played around a little bit in Game Four, and had to play an extra game uh, to wrap it up in Game, in game Five. Game Four, they down, they're down fifteen. They were still uh, uh, LeBron uh, just onslaught, and they were able to hang in there get a lead in going to the fourth quarter and hang on for dear life in the fourth quarter uh, as a, you know, as LeBron was exhausted. And of course, Anthony Davis, you know, did Anthony Davis type stuff, which was basically next to nothing. Um, had, you know, had a measly, you know, 20, he had 21 points, but it didn't, it wasn't impactful 21 and 14. It really wasn't. We'll get, we'll get more about, talk more about AD over the course of pod, on the podcast. So Denver, listen, give Denver all the credit in the world. They crossed that. They are a just tremendous offensive offensive team. Uh, Jokic, I, you know, I was texting, you know, texting my cousin last night. Jokic, you know, deservedly so got the uh, MVP of the, of the conference finals. But Jamal Murray was spectacular in this conference finals. You're talking about Jamal Murray was basically 32 and five on like 52 percent from the field and 40% from the three-point line. Like, he he was spectacular. All right, Jamal Murray was the second-best player in this series. Like, if I'm ranking the players in terms of how it would play out, it would be Jokic, Murray, Jokic, Murray, um, and probably Anthony Davis and LeBron probably were around the same. As a matter of fact, based off last night, I'd probably have to go with LeBron even over, over Anthony Davis, to be honest with you. So, that was the difference in the series. Uh, Denver had more guys that they can go to, and their two best players clearly outplayed the Lakers' two best players. And you know, like when you look at that Jokic Murray pick and roll is lethal, and that combination that is right now not two way because neither one of them are great defense players. But in terms of offensively, there's not a better offensive combination right now than those two. I would take those two offensively over any 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 twosome uh, duo in the league, even over Garnett. Not Garnett, excuse me, Durant and Booker, to be honest with you. There's not a better two duo right now offensively in the league. Now, still, despite what happened, despite what's going on in, in the Eastern Conference, I still, for both, for the two way, like like Tatum and Brown, because they play both ends of the floor at a high level. But offensively, they're like Jokic and, and, and Murray are lights out because you have to defend the entire court with those two. And both of those two are very, like, Everybody talks about Jokic's passing. Murray is a underrated passer in his own right. He gets the ball to, he gets the basketball in to, to the right person at the right time. So Murray's a very his, his playmaking his playmaking is kind of underrated to be to be perfectly honest with you. And that and that was the difference in the series to me. Um, Jamal Murray was able to do what LeBron James, I'm sure is begging in his mind or probably privately begging what Anthony Davis to do. Like Jamal, like Jamal Murray was a legit number two. Probably even quasi number one, 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 one A in this series, I could make a case that he and Jokic were one and one A. But without question, a a, a star number two. I mean Anthony Davis, you know, the difference in that like Anthony Davis needed to be the Lakers needed what Jamal Murray did in Game Three, going for like thirty and a half 
That's what the Lakers need from Anthony Davis last night. Especially in the second half. First half, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. LeBron has it going. He's still, Davis was still defending relatively well, rebounding the basketball. I think he had like eight rebounds at the, at, at, at the half, something like that. Blocked a couple shots. Second half, four, since the fifth quarter, that Anthony Davis has the, you have to like explode in the fourth quarter. Like you have to take over that game in the fourth quarter to get to allow LeBron. You have to take over that game in the second half to allow LeBron to catch a, to catch his breath so he can have, a, have enough in the fourth quarter uh, to close out the game. And that's the problem, and that's why I feel, and we'll get over the course of the the off season, and certainly podcasts once the, once uh, some podcasts when the NBA Finals is over, in terms of what the Lakers should do in the off season. But I'll tell you right now, I think they should seriously consider moving Anthony Davis, like seriously, like right now. Think about it; he just went through an entire playoffs without any major injuries. He played well. He played well for the most part of the playoffs. It was about what twenty two and fourteen, a couple of blocks, shot like over fifty percent. So he, you know, he had his first great, excellent playoffs since the bubble. Healthy, so his stock to me won't be any higher than it is right now. It just won't. I would move him, but I just would. I would be off Anthony Davis if I'm the Lakers because I don't see him getting healthier as he ages. Uh, that's, that's just not going to happen. Guys like Anthony Davis, we saw see it with like Kawhi Leonard's and see it with older players or players who are injury prone. They don't get healthier, especially going once they turn it turn, uh, go, uh, turn 30, 30 and, and, and up. So I give, give Denver all the credit in the world. They were clearly the better team. Um, listen, what you're learning in these playoffs and we'll we'll talk more about we'll talk uh, definitely about Miami and their their culture. You take culture over chaos. Culture is beating chaos in these playoffs. It just is. Like the culture of Miami, the culture of Denver, what they've put together over the last three or four years. My in terms of Miami over the last. I mean, since Pat Riley got there, in terms of Denver, really over the last, like, five years or so, they have a culture where it's patience, it's continuity. Yes, they have three. You have three stars. You have two superstars, Jokic and Jimmy Butler, and one budding all-star, a guy who's going to be an all-star one day, and, and, and Jamal Murray. And Bam Adebayo has been an all-star before, has been an Olympian. So you have that. He's the, the, the number two on Miami. But you have teams that know who they are, and you again, I you will take that over chaos any day and, and three times on Sunday. Like for all the Lakers, for all how you know, for all the Lakers, you know, greatness in, in the playoffs and how well they played against uh, Memphis and, and Golden State, they were chaotic at the beginning of, at the beginning of the season. Like that whole the Westbrook, the that whole deal getting started, a two and ten start, being under five hundred for most for the majority of the season. At one point in thirteenth place, those there and again they make the trades. It's more addition by subtraction. Get rid of Westbrook, but there's you still cannot. You're not going to win a championship when you overhaul your entire roster mid season. And again, I know LeBron James has done this before, but it has never resulted. I mean, has it 
resulted in a championship. Even 2016, they made some moves, but that wasn't that didn't result. That wasn't that wasn't a complete overhaul of the entire of like of, of, of like like this. They made they made trades in 2016. I get it. They made some trades in 2016 that improved the roster. This was a like, but compared to this, this was a a overhaul of like basically, you know, they kept what three or four guys. Like they, I mean, this this roster was it was you know in shambles during the course of the season, and they made the right moves. Even though all those guys didn't play well, they got it. It allowed you know Austin Reeves to shine. Really, Hucho Hachimori played played great over the course of the playoffs. Made a lot, made, made some big shots, um, and they allowed you know again it was more about addition of uh, addition by subtraction getting rid of, getting rid of Westbrook, but they made the right moves. They, they, they the depth allowed LeBron to be somewhat fresh for the playoffs despite him having a bad foot, you know, but but that's not going to win you a championship. That's like that's not like that that. That has uh, you can only go so far because there's no chemistry built in within the team for the the players that you have that you bring in only had so many games together. Uh, as in comparison to a Denver, these guys have been going. These like Murray and Jokic have been going have been playing. And Murray and Jokic have been playing together for like four or five years now. And those those pieces, those ancillary pieces like uh, KCP. Uh, Aaron Gordon that you bring in a couple of years ago, Bruce Brown that you brought in this year, those pieces are easy to fit. Those are easy fits because those are guys that are are glue guys. Those are guys that are willing to do, are going to do all the dirty work. They're not worried about shot attempts. They're not worried about yeah about shot attempts. They're not worried about those things. They're they're going to do all the dirty work, whatever it takes. And again, the main core that that main core has been together for three or four years. Jokic, Murray. Porter. That's your main core. I mean, you're looking at, uh, you know, with Miami, uh, Butler, Adebayo, like a Duncan Robinson. They, they, again, they've been together for a number of years. They know who they are. Yeah, we have a long, we have all offseason to get into the Laker offseason. I'll, I'll say this before we move on. Um, I, listen, when he says, when LeBron James speaks like he spoke last night, says he has a lot to think about in terms of basketball, and then, you know, you go, Dave Beckman, uh, Beckmanum, I never get his name right, That that that's been a reporter with the Lakers, and also was with the Cavaliers at one point, said, basically says, you know, LeBron basically tells him that, you know, he's pondering retirement, doesn't use the word retirement, but pondering his future in basketball, yes, you got to take it seriously. I don't think for a second that LeBron James is going to retire. Um, I'd be surprised if not my borderline on being shocked if he does retire. I think LeBron was angry last night. He was emotional. I think that he, you have a guy, I think that at 38 years old, you have a guy playing almost 48 minutes who knows that Anthony Davis should be doing more and who knows that and LeBron's a very, is a smart man, we all know, who knows that the Western Conference is only going to be is only going to be tougher next year, and that could have been his best chance to win a championship moving forward. Like this, this literally could have been LeBron's best chance moving forward to win a championship. Like seriously. So he, this guy is you know is a basketball savant. He thinks you know, 
like three moves ahead. He understands all of this. He understands all of this. So I thought that that was an emotional, because it came out of nowhere. There had been nothing talked being talked about about retire, possible retirement leading up. If you know the Lakers lose, Robert LeBron retired. Nothing had leaked out. Nothing had leaked out leading up to this game. So it came out of nowhere. But that to me, I, again, you, I can't. I can take it seriously. I can only take it so serious because it came right after a loss when your season's over. It was been a difficult, say at least difficult. I'm not gonna say traumatic, but it's been, been a challenging season, physically, mentally, the whole nine for one LeBron James. And um, I don't think he's gonna retire. I think he wants to play with his son. Um, the Lakers are not that far away. Uh, again, they played Denver. Who was the, the best team in the West, Western Conference? They played Denver very tough. That was a, that series was a sweep, but it wasn't a sweep. It was a very closely contested series, very closely contested. I mean, those first two games, the first two games in particular, could have went either way. Now, again, Denver deserved to win without question, but those first two, those first two games could have went either way. So, I don't think the Bonds going to retire. Should be an interesting offseason. For the Lakers, I once I'll tell you right now, I don't want any part of Kyrie Irving as a Laker fan on the Lakers. It's, I don't, I just don't see how that is even a viable option if if, if you're if you're Rob Lincoln. Like I just don't, I, I don't get it. I don't I, the Kyrie fascination. I, I, I know he he would he would love to play for for Lakers absolutely. Be in Los Angeles, um, it's not even about competing for titles. It's just being in Los Angeles at this point. I don't worry about playing a little, little with LeBron. Like, no. It, like, so it, it's just, I mean, he just wants to play in Los Angeles. Uh, maybe, you know, like he could market his brand. I, mean, I don't I, I don't think Kyrie is, is hell-bent on winning. I, I don't buy that. Or he would have stayed. He could have stayed in Brooklyn. They could have been competing. The way the East fell apart, they could have been competing for uh, a championship with Kevin Durant and with that team they had before they made the, those trades. So, We'll see what happens with the Lakers. Congratulations to the, the Nuggets as they seek the first, their first ever NBA championship. They will go in as a favorite over Miami. I'm dismissing Boston. Boston has zero chance. So they will go in to me as a slight favorite over uh, Miami. And listen, I've been hearing a lot of talk lately, especially in the past week or so, a couple weeks, about Jokic being the best player in the world. If Jokic is the best player in the world, go out there and win the championship. You have probably top to bottom the best team, the most complete team of Uh top to bottom, or the most together. I, you want to say Boston has more talent? Sure, but Boston is a is a dumpster fire right now. So Denver is the best team remaining. And, we'll, you know, if Jokic is that dude, which is the best player in the world, go out there and win the championship. It's just that simple. Uh, as far as what's going on in Miami, um, they're like I've been watching the basketball for thirty five, about thirty five, between thirty five and thirty eight years. I, what's what's happening in Miami right now? I've just I, I just never like I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen a team look as bad as Miami did during the regular season and just basically dominate their competition in the postseason. Not squeak by, dominate. Like, the Houston Rockets 
in 95, right, when the defending champions, Akeem Olajuwon, was the best player in the world. Um, they added Clyde Drexler uh, at, the, at the trade deadline, and that took them to another level. They ended up being a six seed, but they were really not a six seed as they went through, you know, Phoenix, uh, Utah, Phoenix, and then, of course, San Antonio. And we all know what Akeem did to Dave Robson, then, of course, Orlando. So they went through the gauntlet and ended up being, you know, winning another championship. Outside of that, there's been no team that is even like threatened to be world champions that has been that has been anything less than a four seed. Like it's like you just don't really, this is something that just doesn't happen. The Knicks in ninety nine did not have a chance in hell of beating the Spurs. And mind you, that was a fifty game season, so there was only a five game separation between the Knicks and the number one seed that year, which were, uh, I believe was the Miami Heat. I remember they, that was the Allen Houston shot. They won game five and went on to uh, went on to get to the NBA uh, NBA finals, taking out uh, taking out Indiana before falling to uh, taking out Atlanta and Indiana before falling to uh, Port San Antonio with Duncan Robinson. But what Miami is doing right now, I just it's it it goes. I like like I'm still we still surprised a shock from the Milwaukee series, right? I expected them to beat the Knicks. Um, I thought Boston would win this series, but I thought that they because Boston you know tends to fuck around a lot that they possibly could go seven. They Miami has completely taken Boston out of this series mentally, uh, more so mentally than physically. Um. Eric Spolstra is putting on a coaching masterpiece. Um, and it's just not even a fair fight as far as Spolstra versus uh, Missoula. It's just not. Like, it's, it's like, I, 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 I mean, it's just, you know, we're talking about the varsity versus the JV in essence. Like, it's just our pro versus the amateur in a sense. Like, it's just not fair. Uh, they The confidence level of that Miami team Seems to be at an all-time high. They seem to be connected at the hip. They look everything. They look like everything Boston is not right now. And again, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the Boston offseason. I'm treating this like, listen, all you need to know, and Kenny Kenny Smith said it right perfectly. Boston came out in that game three, like it was already game four, and they were down three zero. They did not come out like a team that was only down two zero. And that was down. That was down two zero in the series. So they came out. They checked out, and it didn't take long for Miami put them to sleep. And you know that was that. And again, I don't expect any fight from Boston tonight. Like I, you, you think I, you think Boston really wants anyone wants to get eliminated on their home floor? Like you really, you really, you really think, or do you really think Boston has a belief that they can actually come back and win the series? No and hell no. They are they they their bags are packed. They are they I'm sure I'm sure as we speak, some vacations are being planned. Whereas Cancun, Sandro Pay, whatever, Maldives, wherever, there's some the DR, wherever these players go, LA. It, this they are the, the Boston is so done. And I again I'll be shocked if this game isn't like a twenty five point drubbing by halftime. I, I it would be just beyond shock, especially 
as professional of a team Miami is and knowing what Denver just did. They don't, like, you know, we know how competitive these guys are, especially the coaches. They don't want Denver to get more rest than them, get, to get that much more rest than them. Denver's already going to get one, you know, an extra night based on the fact that their series ended last night. But they want to get sim- a similar amount of rest uh, as they get as the finals will begin next Thursday, June 1st. Um, they want to get a similar, a similar rest to the Denver Nuggets. So I don't think Miami's going to play around. I think Boston is the walking dead. And again, I expect it's going to be what, what Chris Parlow used to say in, in the wire when he used to take before he took out one of his victims. I'll make it quick and quick and clean. That's what I think this, this is going to be uh, tonight. Speaking of it, let's stay on that theme of the, of the Miami Heat um, in terms of the Heat culture. So we've seen just numerous coaching changes uh, over the past just, you know, last five years in particular. Uh, we've seen general managers come and go, presidents of teams come and go, philosophies come and go, styles of play come and go. In Miami, is Arison Riley Spolstra. And that's been, that's been ongoing for since Pat Riley got there. Uh, Spolster is going to be Rob Pat Riley's successor, and they'll you know they'll keep chugging along. Like you think about what they've done. Remember, Miami is only Miami came about the same expansion year as Charlotte in '88. So it's been that's been what that's thirty what thirty five years. So Miami, yeah, Miami's been around thirty five years. And, you know, they, in that 35-year period, right, three championships in that 35-year period. And most importantly, there is a way that they go about doing their business as far as accountability, as far as identity. And everybody, everybody knows when you get to the Miami Heat, like there's, you know, they have like a fat index in terms of weight. Like they measure body fat. Like your conditioning, there's not like like a Joel MB would be like he would be dying in practice because they like no you out of shape. That doesn't exist with Miami. The guys don't get out of shape. They don't go like that, or they don't play, or they get called out. Like that, like that just doesn't. That's just a part of the culture. That's just who, that's just what the culture is. Like Eric, think about Eric Spoelstra. Eric Spoelstra right now, pound for pound, to me is the best coach in the NBA. LeBron James wanted Eric Spoelstra out that first year in Miami. Pat Riley was like, "Nah, nah, he's our coach. Go, go chill out." And that was that. That's that. That's a culture. You don't go. You don't players don't go to Pat talk to Pat Riley over Eric Spoelstra. What? That what? That that does not that just doesn't happen, and that's the regular in the NBA. That I mean, a lot of these places have to leave. That's the regular. Yes, the the star player or forget about it. Even the the six and seven man off the bench, second man off the bench, will go to an owner or 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 a GM over the coach's head. That doesn't that does not exist in Miami, and I think that. You know, Golden State, 
has been the model franchise over the past decade. You know, look at the last 20 years, the Lakers have won a number of titles, uh, you know, from 2000 to 2020 with, uh, I think the Lakers have six, yeah, six six titles during that time span. And Shaq and Kobe and all, you know, Shaq, Kobe, LeBron now, or the late great Kobe Bryant. And they've been the more prestigious as far as marquee and attention. But as far as, like, infrastructure, culture, consistency, um, they don't do rebuilds. Like, they don't do rebuilding. They reload on the fly. Like there, there's no tanking. Like no, nah, that's not just not how they. This, this, they don't. They're not cutting that off. If they, they had a, if they have some bad seasons, it was just that they happened to just be bad. Like before Jimmy Butler got there, um, you know they had a couple seasons following the Dwayne Wade that Dragic Dwayne Wade team in fifteen, sixteen. So 16, 17, 17, 18, they had some bad seasons. Had a couple of bad seasons. Um, 18, 19 as well. But then they got Jimmy Butler in 2019, something in, in 2019, and, you know, it, the rest is history. They've been finals. They've been in the playoffs or the finals ever since. So what they're doing right now is, like I said, this, like they, again, they that is a team, that is a model team, a model franchise in terms of how this, that is how, your and your the infrastructure of your franchise should be built, holding people accountable. That is that they are the blueprint for it, one hundred percent blueprint. And again, they haven't hit on like you think about how they, they hit on now. They hit on Bam Adebayo and Hero, those two draft picks. Those like they've had misses. They've had some misses on free agency. Like Justice Winslow, Justice Winslow was a miss in draft. Tyler Johnson was a miss. Hassan Whiteside was a miss. Eventually, was a miss. He first, I mean, at first he was a surprise. Then he became, he became a miss. So they've had some misses, but they it didn't last long. Like they, whatever, whatever messes they made, they cleaned up quickly and looked. And they are forty eight minutes away from another finals appearance. And I tell you what, and I, I tell you what, and I'll, you know, I'll give a preview of this, you know, in a, in a couple of days. On uh my on you know on the when we do a, a podcast coming uh, this weekend, they 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 will have every like you as a Miami Heat fan you should have every right to feel like you can you're gonna win this series. They they that is a borderline toss up series. I I can make a case it is a toss up series outside Joker probably would lean towards Denver because they have they do have the best player but not by a lot it's not not by much. It's what Jimmy Butler is doing. Is is otherworldly right now in terms of, uh, of uh, in terms of how he's playing in the postseason. Not by much. It's not. It's not a big gap playoff wise between Butler, between Jokic and Butler. They would be right there in that series. Now I, I would expect that series to be a big time classic series. Two excellent coaches. They have, they will have the coaching advantage in that series. They will have experience advantage in that series. So they have they will have two of the three advantages that you like going to the finals. You want the best player. But if you don't have the best player, you will t- you'll take the experience, and you'll certainly take the, the the coaching, the better the better coach. But as far as the Heat, uh, if you want to, if you're trying to replicate it, now again, Pat Riley is Pat Riley. He's a he is a generational executive culture builder like that is like Pat Riley is Pat Riley. But the point is, you want stability in that organ in your organization from the top down to where. 
your owner, general manager, and coach are all one. And too many of these places around the NBA, you have there are too many voices. You have too many owners that that you know. You have situations where the owner goes is going directly to the coach, the general manager, or the owner is going, or the general manager is not connected to the coach. It's just it, you got not not or there or the coach is being viewed as being disposable. So you know what, we get rid of them. Players don't hold, don't hold the players accountable. You know, you know who has to go with the coach. Not that doesn't exist in Miami, and Frank, I don't think it ever will as long as you have Riley and, and Spolstra uh, being a part of that organization. So Carmelo Anthony retires after 19 years. Uh, Anthony is a, in terms of just NBA, if I don't include ABA, is ninth all-time in scoring. If you include the ABA, he's 11th all-time with over 28,000 points. Um, we know the Olympics, uh, the Olympic deal uh, as a gold medalist, his, uh, he, of course, was a perennial all-star and led his team to led his team to the playoffs the first eleven years of his career. Um, top seventy five player, um, certainly will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Very interesting. Very. I had a when I was thinking about Carmelo's legacy and what he's meant to the NBA. I guess he will fall under. Like I never thought Carmelo was going to be an all-time great. I never, like, I never thought Carmelo, I think Carmelo, as far as getting the most out of his ability, achieved probably, probably maxed out his skills. Um, but there are, like, there are some what-ifs with Carmelo, right? There are a couple of, about three what-ifs with Carmelo. So, I'll deal with this. What if, by, by the way, he doesn't get enough credit as far as his complete basketball career, um, he did win a championship as a freshman at Syracuse. Like, I, I hear people, people just, just completely dismiss that. Like, as a freshman, he wins a championship, and he come, comes in the NBA, what, age 19, dropping 20 right away on a team that went to the playoffs. So <laughs> I think his shortcomings get – he, like – he gets knocked too much for his shortcomings rather than for some of the things that he was great at. And and some of, like, I think it's, it's, he's kind of, the way who, the way his career ended, and he's kinda, especially with Portland and Oklahoma City, he's kind of like an easy target. But uh, this guy had a hell of a career. Like, there's all there is to it. But like, he had a hell of a career. And, you know, you make top 75 of all time, it deserves you. So, like, that, that's, it's not easy. <laughs> you consider one of the top seventy-five players of all time. You're doing something, um, but I wonder if any of these three winners would have happened. How we would view him first? Two thousand three draft. What happens if the Detroit Pistons draft him with the second pick instead of Darko? Mind you, two thousand three Detroit. That was going to be the year. That was the two thousand three two thousand four year. They won the championship. All those guys, Chauncey Billups, Rasheed Wallace, Tishon Prince, Richard Hamilton, were under 30. They were all in their prime. They were in the midst of six, going to six straight conference finals. You put Carmelo on that team, he doesn't, he doesn't have to start. He could have been like instant offense coming off the bench 
like he was like as a rookie with Denver, he was putting up numbers on a playoff team. So it's not like those stats. It's not like he was an empty numbers guy. No, 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 no. He's put up numbers on playoff teams. His teams, like I said, teams went to the playoffs the first eleven years of his career. You put him with that culture, you know, Carlisle at first, and Larry ended up with Larry Brown, and just you know those veteran guys that they had on that team, and how tough they were. They would have won another championship, if not two, with him. Like seriously, like they. Yeah. That is to me. That is that, that's what that is the biggest what if of his career. If they draft Darko, if they draft him instead of Darko, that like that we, I mean, who knows? We look at his, we would look at his career completely differently because he would have a championship. He would have more. He would have multiple championships. If they would have won that first year, oh three, oh four, right for sure, and they would have won another one at least two. They would have won minimum. They would have won minimum two championships with Paul LFD, if not more. Um, the second one, what if Carmelo, what if the Knicks wait until Carmelo becomes a free agent in 2000, uh, wait until, wait, wait, wait until he becomes a free agent, um, instead of trading all those pieces to get him. So the Knicks got rid of Gallinari, um, Wilson Chandler. Some draft picks and a couple other people. And some, like they, there were like three players that they got rid of for Carmelo Anthony. They traded a lot of that, a lot of people for Carmelo Anthony, and they just the team. It took a couple years for the, the team to fill out. They never were able to build a championship caliber team around him because of all those pieces they had. They give up. They had to give up. Imagine if he signs with them as a free. If he, if they, you know, the Knicks wait until he becomes a free agent. And then signs them and still able to keep some of those pieces. Now again, they didn't have like, you know, Stoudemire was you know, that, you know that that was going to be that was going to be that with Stoudemire like that Stoudemire was going to be hurt. Like as I look back at that, um, look back at that team. Uh, his first year uh, in New York was 2000, yeah, 2011. Uh, he got traded midseason that. So, you know, that, that roster was not, you know, yeah, that, that roster, you know, Raymond, you know, you're talking about that. So they moved him. Yeah, that roster was not filled out. Like, that roster was not filled out. Uh, but again, they make that move. And, you know, the roster, just, it was too thin. It was just it was just flat out too thin. But uh, that roster was just too thin. So the second one, the third one, right? And this is one that he's been criticized for um, over the course of his career. So... We all know that how close, uh, how close he was is to uh, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, uh, you know the banana boat, Chris Bosh, and what have you. So when LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and all those guys were plotting to join up uh, together, they had they had set up to where. In 2010, summer 2010, they would become free agents, right? So they had a three-year out 
They signed the extensions in 06. They had a three-year out to become free agents in 2010. Armelo did not have an out. He signed a five-year, $80 million extension uh, and took all the money. Now, instead of Chris Bosh for that, you know, the big three in Miami, it was supposed to be Wade, it's only LeBron, Wade, and Melo. It's, now, it turned out that from a fit standpoint, I think that Bosch was was a much better fit as a rim protector and a, a, a and a big man. But there to me, there's no question that I I can't I it'd be I mean, you'd be hard pressed to think that if you add Carmelo that first of all LeBron can play with anybody, but that they would have won at least one one championship with Carmelo maybe and maybe. You know, when Wade starts falling off, maybe Carmelo becomes that second guy, and maybe Pat Riley would move, would eventually move Wade, and then add some pieces around Prime LeBron, Prime Carmelo. But maybe maybe LeBron stays in Miami, and and he's the number two behind uh, Anthony's the number two behind LeBron for the next three or four years. But at that point, he. At worst, he's the second best. In the, he would end up being the second best player on the team that won a championship. Because remember, Wade had two good years with LeBron, and after that, the wheels fell off. Like 2010, 11, 11, 2011, 2012, Wade was at an all star, NBA, all NBA level. After that, the wheels, especially in, the wheels, completely fall off in the thirteen final, the thirteen and fourteen finals against the Spurs. Fourteen, Wade was like a corpse uh, in that series. He wasn't very good in 13, 13 series finals either. Carmelo's on that team. Carmelo at that point was absolutely his, his, his prime uh, during those particular years. He would have been the, number, the second best player on that team, especially in 13 and 14, maybe even 12. And they win one of those championships. They probably win one of those championships. So just a couple, you know, when you think about Carmelo, think about some those those three what is, especially the first and third one. Uh with you know him, you know, possibly being if Detroit would have drafted him or if he doesn't or if he aligns his contract up to have the opt out and joins LeBron James and, and uh and Dwayne Wade as a big three instead of instead of Bosch, Wade and James, or James Wade and Bosch. Uh again, but you Carmelo was listen. Carmelo was a lethal scorer. The thing about, I mean, he came along. He, the thing about he, he's underappreciated somewhat because he came along. Think about the era he came along with. He was coming in the same draft with LeBron James. That's number one. Number two, during the, during his particular career, you're talking about Kobe was still at the top at the top of his game. You're talking about Shaq, Duncan, Garnett. There were a number of stars and players who were just better. Hurt the whiskey, like they, you know, came. He, you know, it's not like he he wasn't forgot, but he came along at a, t- at a time where they just had a number of guys that overshadowed him, that, or that were just better than him. And I think, I think somewhat we forget in the moment, especially we forget just how talented of a player, of an offensive player that Carmelo Anthony was, and probably, again, probably. Like I said, that that stat where make, making a team, taking your team to eleven straight playoffs, or teams that you play on to eleven straight playoffs, that should not be shunned upon at all. 
Thanks for wrapping up for this latest edition of the Real Good Podcast. No real thoughts tonight, this evening. I, I feel like I've exhausted my thoughts uh, with these NBA Finals. Um, that's going to wrap it up for this program. I will have this podcast up tomorrow. So, again, I, re- I repeat it. When you live this podcast, Austin, Miami, game four will be complete. Um, I will see you. You will hear from me later on this week. We will preview the NBA Finals. We'll start discussing uh, some offseason, you know, some offseason things for the NBA, especially for the, with the Lakers and with the Lakers and Celtics. Because the Celtics, listen, the Celtics are going down tonight. They're going down. And both those teams will have a number, number of question marks in offseason, especially the Boston Celtics. Have a great rest of your evening. So long.